When did you start working for Wikistrat? In uh, October of 2013 uh, was when I was recruited. And what happened was in, in that, that summer of 2013, I read an article about Wikistrat in Forbes or maybe the Wall Street Journal. And I was very interested in their company. And so I applied to join. And to my surprise, they actually messaged me back and scheduled an interview. And I was accepted. I joined as an analyst originally. And then in 20, late 2016, I asked Warren Kessler, who, like I said, who was the head of the director of operations, and I believe also a, a director of community outreach at the time. I asked him uh, if there are any other positions besides analysts at, at Wikistrat. And uh, he said, we're we have a lot of recruitment projects going on right now. Would you like to work as a recruiter? Now, when you, as an analyst, when you first join, generally speaking, it's unpaid. It's like an unpaid internship. It's a case where if a client project comes along and you're invited to join it, then you receive payment. But there are other, what they call internal simulations or projects. Those are just like reports that we write for the general public. They're not for a client. They're just to generate publicity for Wikistrat. So people have often seen these Wikistrat reports. They're very, very provocative. Some of the titles are like, you know, what happens when, when oil ends or how do we win the Arctic or, you know, they're kind of provocative reports, which are basically built around getting a group of experts together and then simulating a, either a war game or some sort of gamification method. They use they use the gamification system to award analysts points for their participation. That's how they keep analysts motivated. And the more points you accumulate, the higher your rank, because you're also ranked as well, right. can go up. And the more likely you'll be chosen for actual paid projects, for client projects. Right. And... And the way it, we do a lot of different topics, actually, we do stuff like war games. We do stuff like dealing with political crises. But we also do a lot of stuff with or we do a lot of stuff with technology. The future implications of technology. Say what what's the future? What could be the future applications for things like cryptocurrency? Or what are some promising water technologies being developed? Yeah, stuff like that. So it's not just politics and military. We do a lot, obviously, with the economy as well. Uh, Did it occur to you back then that this could be a, a front for an Israeli intelligence operation? Honestly, I, I was, uh, no. I, I, I mean, obviously, I knew the, the company was based in Israel. When I first joined, I thought it was just a, a startup consulting firm with a neat idea, crowdsourced right. consulting. I, that I was the way they pitched Joel's themselves, you're right. I knew Joel had connections, but having connections and having influence are two different things. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really get the feeling that before Trump, these guys had that much influence. I, I could be wrong about that, but I, I definitely noticed a big shift after Trump was elected. It seemed like they were stepping up. Uh, that, that, that It seemed like... Uh, the people around Joel Zemel, the people around Joel Zemel were, were gaining a lot of uh, influence where they, I, I don't think they really had it before. Yes. Obviously, uh, the company in about mid 2016, uh, they, or sorry, mid 2017, they started slowing down and eventually went dead for almost a year, for several months. Uh, I think it was about six or seven months. They just went dead. Uh, they weren't really doing anything. Uh, 
And I now know that was because of the Mueller investigation. I didn't obviously know that at the time. And, uh, you know, after working for them, you know, in, in late 2016, early 2017, working for them for about four or five months as a recruiter, then everything suddenly dries up for six months, seven months, whatever it was. It just went so quiet and because of the Mueller investigation. Yeah, I mean, the both, now, both what, so good. I was just going to say, one, one of the things, as far as now the connections between Wikistrat and, and Psy Group and, and how that whole dynamic functions, I don't know for sure. Uh, you know, obviously, the one connection we do know is is Joel Zamel. He obviously he founded and owned both companies. Um, I've had my suspicions that the work done at Wikistrat was somehow funneled into side group. Because if you think about it, if you're trying to do influence operations, especially primarily uh, primarily over the internet, over social media, Wikistrat would be a really good way to recruit people to develop ideas that you could later use for your influence operations at side groups. So that was one of my, when, when all this stuff started coming out, first the Mueller investigation, then of course later on the stuff with Khashoggi, my big concern became what's going, is Wikistrat and Wikistrat analysts working there knowingly help form these operations that are later used at side group. It seems like there's a correlation, right? And a lot of the work even pointed earlier on to the 2015 work around uh, a potential Islamic uprising in, in Yemen or insurgency in Yemen. And then a few months later, that's exactly what happens. And, and the Saudis and, and the UAE are having a war in Yemen. That could be coincidental, of course. But sometimes it seems like these reports that they funded or, and put out there seem to track pretty well with what happens a few months later. And, and to be fair, you've got some of the world's best analysts working together. And it's not inconceivable that they could predict events be well before the, the media might or the, even the government could. But it, it is concerning. And uh, I'll give you a good example. Uh, in 2015, Wikistrat ran a simulation involving, among other things, election interference. And I don't know if you saw that article in the Daily Beast. And yeah. the way that the scenario was described was very similar to what played out with the DNC. And now, again, I'm not saying I'm not making allegations that Wikistrat was necessarily involved. I'm just using that as an example. But yeah, right. that's exactly what I'm pointing at. I think there's so many things that I've read about Wikistrat and so many of the reports that I've read that seem to just like, whoa, it's so close to reality. And you're right. It could be that there's so many smart analysts that are predicting the future because they're so familiar with their field. But even still, there's real perception here that Wikistrat is a part of the intelligence community in Israel, part of the intelligence gathering operation for Israel. And it doesn't seem like any of the analysts that were hired there knew that. So even it's the, the kind of the hiding of that is so significant because they could be thinking they're providing information to a private company or a private client, but in fact, they could also be having the same information being shared with enemies of the United States. Yeah. And one of my, one of my big concerns, and this is one of the reasons why I started reaching out to journalists, after Khashoggi was killed, I was concerned for the safety of the people I recruited for this the Saudi project because, you know, what if this, and again, I'm speculating here, I'll emphasize that, but what if this 
Saudi experts project was really a manner to spy on these people. It was mm-hmm. really meant to spy on these people somehow, just I mean, in the same way that Khashoggi was spied on by, by the Saudis. Uh, the other possibility, you know, obviously Israel's made huge gains in terms of foreign policy over the last few years with the a- Abraham Accords. They're, they were on the cusp of potentially making peace with our opening up diplomatic relations with Saudi Arabia. That doesn't look like it's going to happen now, but who knows? Obviously, they did make open up diplomatic relations with the United Arab Emirates, with Sudan, with Morocco. And of course, while most of the Arab governments seem to be in favor of this, at least eventually, in terms of popular opinion, this is incredibly unpopular all throughout the Middle East. Obviously, the Israelis have a huge incentive to monitor basically the, the popular opinion of the entire Middle East any way they can and have an incentive to share that information with the governments of the Gulf and, and the Arab governments of the Middle East to kind of as a way to watch out for rising discontent as Israel improves its relations yeah. with the Arab nations of the Middle East. So that's another you know, possibility we have to consider is, is this actually, was the Saudi project also a, a method for Israel to, to spread influence to drop support for eventual normalization of ties between Israel and Saudi Arabia? Yeah, but there's In also, fact, there's also uh, so yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, in fact, uh, Wikistrat released a report, I think, last month or maybe the month before, specifically talking about just that, about the benefits to Saudi Arabia if it were to normalize relations. Well, you know, of course, that's what they would say, because Saudi Arabia has been their client for a while. The And of course, they'd believe this. But truthfully, the way this seems to be running is... Everyone's just following the oil and the money. Israel's got its pipeline now, and they're getting all this oil shipped from uh, or piped from the UAE and and Saudi directly through their new pipeline expansion, and they can get to Europe and Russia through that. It seems to me that's really the underlying thing here. When you look at all these players involved, these are not the most. They're not. They're not noble in their intents. I know a lot no. of these guys. These are not. These are not upstanding moral people. That's certainly not what strikes you when you come across them. And I, I did this chart just to try and get in my head and this is what my head feels scrambled is all of this because it really is interesting that one thing we'd left out earlier that Elliot Brody is was the first person to sell NSO's spyware products to the world. That's a little known um, fact, but the very man that uh, we, we mentioned a little earlier on, and who also worked with Thomas Barak, by the way, to to sell the secret software to the world was Elliot Brody and was done through some shady deal with a foreign owner of Pegasus. You've got that involvement there. You've got uh, him selling the, this, the software to MBS. But you've also got George Nader, who's a convicted pedophile, and he's in jail right now for pornography or child pornography or whatever, at the center of this group of people, which includes two crown princes, uh, Elliot Brody, who's this, this disgraced and also indicted um, fund manager who's connected to Donald Trump. You've got Eric Prince tied to all of this, and we all know about Eric Prince's various weird and odd exploits. And, and in the middle of that, you've got Joel Zamel, and George Nader talking about targeted assassinations and doing it for the Saudi government. And this is not, you know, this is a seedy, seedy looking thing. This is not something that makes you think, oh, well, the world is going to be better off, especially when you consider that uh, Khashoggi is dead. It's, there's no benefit to the world out of any of this, it appears to me. 
No, I, I don't see any benefit to any of this. Either. Like yeah. I said, people with the best of intentions having access to this type of technology like Pegasus is scary enough. But when you have extremely malicious actors who have a clear track record of brutality, human rights abuses, having access to this type of technology, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And we've seen what it can do. We've seen it. We've seen it in action around the world. When you look at the list of of people that this uh, Pegasus project has been able to identify, it is really, you know, it's, it's hard to tell how many lives have been shattered by the last few years of these exploits. These guys running around the world with so with real impunity, being able to do almost anything they wanted to because the United States wasn't there as the cop. And now look at the position the United States has sort of has to fight its way back from. I have one, two more questions that I really want to ask you around this timeline. Joel Zamo really coming to, very close to the UAE and the Saudi leadership, along with Eric Prince, from 2015 all the way to 2017, where they sort of go from being a consultancy to what some people have described as intelligence light, which means they were actually providing intelligence reports from the ground um, to their clients, not just providing analysis. After the assassination, four days later, they're hacking Hatij, uh, that's his widow's phone, and not only her phone, but also several other people around Khashoggi, friends, uh, people from Al Jazeera, which is so interesting that you asked for details about the Al Jazeera people, friends and colleagues uh, that have known him, even Hatija's lawyer, all being hacked and monitored, and his son, Abdullah Khashoggi. This is uh, the real-life consequences of that kind of conversation, it seems. And, and then the assassination takes place on October the 2nd. And it doesn't stop there. A terrifying way of thinking about such an event that took place and that MBS still to this day has really not faced global consequences for ordering this attack. And we still to this day, we do not know if he's going to stay crown prince. I suspect he won't, but who knows if he will. It's certainly untenable to me in my mind that the United States can allow MBS to remain in the leader of Saudi Arabia and still be our ally. It seems like that can't happen under these circumstances, but that's where we are still. It's still the case right now. I think the logic they're oper- like the U.S. government and Israel, for that matter, operating under is if they get rid of MBS, will they have to potentially deal with someone who, from their perspective at least, could be worse? And after speaking of the Arab Spring, as you were talking about earlier, and a lot of circles in Washington and Tel Aviv, there's a big concern about democratization across the Middle East, and some people see it as a bad thing. They see it as a potential opening for policies that, that could be against their elite interests. Personally, obviously, I'm I'm in favor of democracy. And let's face I, it, it didn't work. I, Obama tried it. It didn't really work. It turns out to be a bit of a disaster. It, uh, everyone had to pull it back. That's one thing. It doesn't mean democracy is a bad idea for everybody. Right. You know, it was. But certainly there are people like Trump, for example, or who's already authoritarian. He has no problem. He has no problem suppressing democracy here. So I don't think he has a problem with it with suppressing it across the Middle East either. Well, I certainly know that there was a conversation that took place within days or hours of MBS being killed between, sorry, MBS, Shoji being killed between MBS and Trump. There's a conversation that remains secret to this day that was, you know, hidden in a separate archive in, in the White House that no one has heard of. And we don't even know what that was about. We know that during that whole time, Donald Trump was incredibly supportive of MBS. 
Now, we also know today that Thomas Barack got indicted for undue influence there, telling Trump how to operate his foreign policy. Or maybe it was the UAE telling Trump to stay, to go light on on on, on MBS. But it's uh, none of it is tenable. None of it is what you'd expect of any American president, certainly not of American allies. And we deserve to hear that conversation, or at least to get a good readout of what that conversation was about. We still don't know if any uh, people in the American side of this administration, we don't have Jared Kushner, we don't know if Donald Trump or anyone else was involved or had knowledge of Khashoggi's death before it happened, because clearly, clearly NSO was tracking what was going on for the Saudis and he ordered the assault himself. So they knew it was coming and we just don't know enough about what really happened even though we know so much about that day, because we seem to know every minute by minute of what, what happened once he got into the embassy. But we do not know, you know what led up to it and what, and what influence there was that led up to it. And I think that's something that we really deserve to know, especially in assessing the future of this Trump administration and the, whether they should even be allowed to stand for any office again. And I th- today I'm hearing reports already that he has, he is publicly said, I don't, know, I don't think he's publicly announced, but he said at one of his rallies at a conservative meeting recently that he is planning on running in 2024. That's the rumors I'm hearing now, but I, I don't think he's made a public announcement. I mean, so we could be going through all of this again. We'll be right back. First, I about my sleeping problem. Now I got to tell you about my tired, sore eyes. Splitting headaches from working the computer all day. Thankfully, I found Blue Blocks. They made a variety of specially designed glasses, like their blue light computer glasses with clear lenses that help with headaches, sore eyes, digital eye strain, watery eyes, and fatigue. They're super easy to use. Just wear the blue light computer glasses during the day when working with screens or under artificial lights. Now I can work all day, and they really do help. They are pretty well designed glasses. They look really really cool. And it really does take away that pain at the end of the day when you're spending so much time looking at the screen. So you'll still feel fresh instead of worn out with sore eyes and a throbbing headache. And if you're having trouble with migraine, stress, fatigue, or jet lag, Blue Blocks also makes yellow and amber lens glasses specifically designed to help with those symptoms. I've tried the other brands of this type before, but they don't compare to Blue Blocks. Blue Blocks glasses are made in optics laboratories in Australia, not mass produced in factories in Asia. Their stylish frames have been featured in Vogue, so they look great, and their science-backed technology is tested to ensure they actually work and are worth the investment. Unlike other blue light glasses companies, glasses come in prescription and reading options. Blue Blocks also has other amazing products such as low blue light bulbs, red light therapy devices, and 100% blackout sleep masks, all backed by science. Blue Blocks, B-L-U, by the way, without the E, Blue Blocks, so it's B-L-U, B-L-O-X, ship worldwide in rapid time with easy returns and exchanges. Go to blueblocks.com forward slash narrative. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com forward slash narrative, N-A-R-A-T-I-V. And use coupon code narrative to get 15% off. That's blueblocks.com slash narrative and use coupon code narrative to save 15%. And uh, please support our sponsors. They are part of the reason we're able to bring you the kind of programming we're bringing you tonight. And really, is the only way we could afford to do it. So uh, our thanks to them to sponsor for sponsoring us. If MBS is still where he is and MBZ is still where he is, and they still have the same influence machines that they were able to operate, and they're still using NSO to hack people's phones, and God knows what else they're doing. My own reporting suggests that Eric Prince is a huge influence machine that's built out there in, in the UAE. It seems that there is such a machine that's currently still has control over the information 
an election space in America. We can't really have free and fair elections while all that is still there. We just can't. Matt, thank you so much for coming on. I know it's, it's turned out to be a much bigger, broader conversation because of the, the news of Thomas Barak and, and the stuff we were learning in the last few days about NSO, but, but a really interesting hour and a half for me and, and I hope the viewers got a lot out of it. And hopefully we can have you back in the near future as, as more uh, develops. Has, have you spoken to anybody? You've spoken to, to us now. You've spoken to uh, Friends of News. What's your goal here? Are you going to keep pushing the story until you get get heard? Or, or what's your intention? I, I mainly wanted to get this story out because I felt like it was, again, I'm not directly accusing anyone, but I am saying this is suspicious. I do think it it needs to be investigated. And I'm, I'm very grateful to Scott Stedman at Forensic News for being the first news outlet to publish it. Uh, I'm very grateful, of course, to David Benjamin to, for hooking me up with you so we could talk about it on here. Uh, yeah, David's been a real supporter and has done great work on this. So thank you, David. We appreciate all, all you put on to, to get this story out there. Exactly. And I really want to raise awareness of these these companies like Cygroup, like Wikistrat, NSO Group, because I really feel like they, and of course now Joel Zamel has a white knight, which mm -hmm. we know nothing about that company, but people need to be made aware of what's going on and how easily it is for these, these companies to manipulate uh, cyberspace for their own malicious ends and how vulnerable we all really are. Absolutely. And when the technology is coming out of one of the world's most powerful surveillance uh, units, often built on American technology, America, uh, Israel has been the beneficiary of a lot of American technology, which is and funding and so, funding and funding. And now that's being used in a way against American democracy by these private tech companies. It's not a good look. And as someone who was born in Israel, I, I should say that it's a it's shattering for me in terms of the country I thought Israel was and should be and how far it's gone from its moral center. I mean, this is not where Israel should be operating. And, and to think that they've caused so much havoc around the world for what seems to be like personal and profit, basically. That's all Bibi Netanyahu seemed to be about, his power and profit, is just disgraceful. And Israel needs to really understand that its role in the world is, is being challenged now because of these stupid political ploys and and power plays around organized crime. It really is short-sighted thinking. It really is. And on that note, I'm going to say goodnight. Thanks, Matt. Really appreciate your time. Thanks to all of you for watching wherever you are. We'll be back on Friday with the after show with LB and Greg Oliar. You can always support Narrative at uh, patreon.com forward slash narrative. There's also a store now. There's a narrative shop where you can buy these Fight for Our Lives t-shirts that we've designed to support the Texas, I mean, inspired by the Texas Democrats. That's that on the website, on the cover story there. You'll find those where to find our shop. All right. Thanks very much for joining us and have a good night, everyone. Narrative is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative.